Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. And now, here's our pastor, Cornelius Phillips, with today's message. Let's go ahead tonight and and take your Bible and turn with me, please, to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and I want to start, begin with verse 1. Last last, uh, Wednesday night, uh, I told you that, uh, well, we talked about the kingdom of God, uh, and we, we, we defined what a kingdom is, simply stated uh, the kingdom when you talk about the kingdom of God it's it's God's kingdom he's the one uh, that rules he's the the sovereign of his kingdom uh, and he's the one that carries the authority of the kingdom and uh, we also talked about uh, a little bit about uh, what it takes to be a part of the kingdom of God and how to to come into uh, being uh, a member or a child of the kingdom, and uh, so I, I want to kind of we're going to kind of touch on that a little bit tonight, but I, I want to to uh, talk about the subject tonight on who is the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Uh, one of the, one of the things that I want to just just say before we get into that is there are a lot of there are a lot of people that that are faithful in church. They're faithful in in uh, doing things for God, but yet they don't really understand and don't really grasp the concept of being a part of the kingdom and uh, and as a kingdom person kingdom minded individual uh, and here's the thing guys you know our culture uh, has kind of uh, let me say our church culture is kind of drifted into a loose uh, way of living a loose concept of God and uh in many cases, it's become more about God serving me than me serving God uh, because I, I come to God to get my needs met. Uh, and when it comes to me uh, humbling myself down before God and, and serving Him, uh, we uh, are seeing a lot, and I think uh, I, I don't care who you have in government, I don't who I don't care who the president is, uh, I don't care who the Congress is or whatever. I think that that culture is a reflection of the church. I think that what we see happening in our world in our in our culture is a reflection of the church. When the church begins to let down its standards and begins to have a loose view of who God is. And, and a loose understanding 
about sin and, and holiness and things like that, that, that moves into culture to start with. And once that happens then, the next thing that you will see is that culture then will begin to move into the church. And, and, where, and when culture begins to move in the church, that's where the church begins to compromise. We begin to compromise. We begin to, we lose our ability to see spiritually. And therefore, we don't recognize when sin comes in. We don't recognize when deception comes in. And I've said this before, but that's the reason that, that we're so uh, blown away that churches would even, uh, even uh, entertain the idea or the thought of allowing homosexuality to come in into the pulpits and into the churches. Why is that? It's because the church uh, or the, the leadership, the people, have lost the ability to recognize what sin is. So therefore, in reality... If we're, not, if we're not living according to the guidelines of the king, then we're not going to be recipients of the benefits of the kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and listen, I'm not dogmatic and I'm not legalistic uh, the way I see myself. I mean, you might see me different, but... but but I am getting more and more uh, keen on the fact that, that, listen, we as Christians, we as men of God, you as women of God, we have got to get out of this thing that I'm scared to draw lines. Listen, our, your children function better when you draw lines. We know that. Children function better when we draw lines. Adults function better when we draw lines. Yet, listen, I was listening to a guy uh, the other day talking, and he said that there was a time that he was a waiter in a restaurant. And one evening, he was working uh, as the waiter, and they gave him a table of about 15 people that had come into the restaurant. And they were all seated there. And he said, I was standing at the head of the table uh, getting drink orders. And he said, there was this one guy that was sitting right, right next to uh, where I was standing. And he was that kind of person that you couldn't please him. He wanted to assert uh, his authority. He wanted to make sure that everybody at the table knew that he uh, was in, uh, he was authority, had, a, had authority. And he said he was just that type person had a stinking attitude and, and all of that. And he said, I was standing there and I began to take their drink orders and I got their food orders and, and, and everybody else ordered. This one man just uh, picked everything and all that. And he said it was just a terrible experience. And he said, so I got their drinks, I brought their drink back and got their food and and brought their food back. Well, it just so happened that the way they were seated, he said this guy was the last one to get his food. And he said, uh, I didn't plan it like that. He said, but, but he was the last one. And he said, I brought his food out 
set it down on the table in front of him, and he said, why is it that I'm the last one to get my meal? He said, what is this? Why do I have to be the last one? And he said, before I could realize what I was saying, he said, it's, I, he said I told him, it's because of your attitude. And he said, it was like you could hear a pin drop on the table. He said, it was almost like the whole restaurant heard what I said. And everybody's mouth just dropped open and they began to stare at this man. And, and he said the man sat there for a few minutes or a few seconds and didn't say anything. He said, so, so I, I left. I, I got out of there. And he said when they finished eating, they were all leaving and this guy came up and, and caught him by the arm and he said, thank you. And he said he stuck something in my pocket. And I, he said, I looked at him and said, sir, he said, thank you. He said, what you said to me about my attitude, he said, I needed to hear that. He said, it caused me to recognize I did have a bad attitude. He said, the guy left, he reached in his pocket and the guy had given him a $50 tip. You see, we're in a culture of people. Listen, and I'm not telling you to go out and start cutting people's heads off with your words. Uh, uh, <laughs> so they, they do, they do. And, but sometimes it's good, and I don't know how I got off on that. But, but here's the thing. Tonight we're going to be talking about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, so let's look at Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning with verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Or who is the greatest in that little circle. This was Jesus' disciples that were asking this question. Now before I answer who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, I want to kind of go back a little bit and I want to I want to show you just just a a flyover of some things that I believe maybe led up to this conversation. Uh, we're in a culture today where a lot of people are stuck on themselves. A lot of people, are, it's all about me. You know, if, if I ain't happy, nobody gonna be happy. If it don't get done my way, then, then it's not getting done right, and it's all about me. 
Uh, one of the worst mistakes that husbands can make is get the thing in their mind that it's all about them. And, and once you get that attitude that it's all about you, then you'll begin to disregard. I didn't see any wives look at their husbands or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm looking over here, but... But uh, when, when it becomes all about me, then I'll begin to disregard you. I'll begin to look past you and everything that you do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick it apart. I'm going to judge it because it won't be good enough for me and all of that and because it's all about me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm that. I'm it. I'm on it. I got it and you don't, and it's all about me. And we develop, uh, it's something that originates from pride. And Lord's willing, we're going to be talking about pride uh, here uh, in the next few weeks. Pride is, is the, the culprit of what causes us to get this attitude that it's all about me. And, and so you need to please me. You need to you need to dote on me because it's all about me. All right. So let's let's just kind of go back uh, just a few chapters. Let's just go back maybe to uh, uh, chapter sixteen, and uh, just I just want to kind of just kind of fly fly through this uh, chapter sixteen now. Our, our passage of scripture uh, simply says that at the same time came the disciples to Jesus saying, who is the greatest? So there's no names there of who came or who instigated this, but apparently the disciples had been talking about it in a group. And, and so they came to Jesus with this question, uh, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So we go back a little bit, and we see uh, even if you were to go back uh, into uh, uh, chapter 15, you see where uh, the 4,000 uh, was fed uh, and uh, how that uh, they had uh, seven loaves of bread and, and a few fish. And you know the story of how uh, Philip was involved in feeding the 5,000. And then if you go on, uh, over into chapter 16, you see where uh, in, in verse 13, beginning with verse 13, going down through uh, 20, uh, you see Peter's uh, confession of faith. And this, this, this great confession of faith that came from Peter in uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, when Jesus said, who do you, uh, uh, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And, and Peter made this great confession of faith. And Jesus said in response to what Peter said, uh, he said, you know, I'll give you the keys. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and all that. And, and so that was a big thing. And and, and then you go on over and uh, you see uh, in, in verse 24 something that's very key that Jesus said, 
in verse 24 of chapter 16, he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake uh, shall find it. And so Jesus talking about there, self-denial. He's talking about, it's not about you. It's not about, it's not about what you want. It's not about what you think. It's about the kingdom of God. And then in uh, chapter 17, we see that the Bible says in verse uh, uh, one that after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and took them up into a mountain apart, uh, and, and the transfiguration took place. And so uh, then, then you go on down, and there's several areas in uh, these, these few chapters where things happen that I believe would cause some of the disciples to get in this discussion about, hey, I, I think I'm his favorite. I think he likes me better than you. Maybe Peter and James and John said, hey, you know, uh, Philip, Matthew, we're, we are better. We are, we are more spiritual than you. No, you're not. Yeah, we are because... Just, just remember, he's the one that asked us to go up on the mountain with him. He didn't ask you. He's the one, he's the one that, that, that wanted us to be with him. He didn't want anybody else. So if we're not careful, that, that pride will rise up and we'll begin to think, I am favored of God, you are not. So therefore, somewhere in that, and for some reason, the disciples get in this discussion. Maybe it was an argument. I don't know. But they got in this discussion and undoubtedly they couldn't settle it so they went to Jesus. And that's where we pick up that they came to Jesus with this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And notice what Jesus said. I can kind of think about maybe Peter was standing there and, and maybe Peter had put James or John up to asking this question and Peter kind of maybe was standing back with his smirky grin saying, you know what, I, I know it's going to be me. You know, I'm the one that stepped out of the boat and walked on water, uh, you know, and uh, I, even though he's rebuked me uh, and, and said, get, the, get behind me, Satan. Uh, I think he, he did that because he loves me more. And so Peter was standing back watching, but none of them were expecting the response that Jesus gave. And the response that Jesus gave, guys, is I think one of the greatest lessons for us to understand something about the kingdom of God that will empower us, it will, it will enable us. Listen, if we don't, listen, when we don't follow the rules of the kingdom, Amen. 
we might think we're getting blessed, but we're really not getting the blessings coming from the king. I want to tell you something. When you get the king's blessing, it will change your life. When you get the blessings that come from the kingdom of heaven, then there won't be any question. When you ain't got a dime in your bank account, but you've got the blessings that come from the kingdom of heaven, you don't worry about the bank account. When, when everything in your life that, that you were headed north and all of a sudden it turns around and goes south, when you've got the blessing of the kingdom on your life, it don't matter. You see, and, and, and I believe, listen, and this is just me, but I believe a big port, part of, of things that, that we say God is blessing us with, are they really? Is it really God blessing or is it because you just got a good job or is it because you get good benefits from your job or, or, or something like that? But the real blessings of the kingdom, I'm not talking about here, okay? but I'm talking about the blessings of the kingdom that come through understanding the rule and the reign and the authority of the king. Now, notice what Jesus did. Jesus called a little child to him, and he set him in the midst. It was almost like Jesus said, I am about to teach you something that's going to be life-changing, and he brought this child and just set him in the midst of them. Maybe they were around in a circle, and he set this little child in the midst of them. And notice what he said in verse 3. He said, Verily I say unto you, except, except you be converted. Except you be converted. I want you to look at Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. I want to read you something. I just came across this today uh, as I was studying. Uh, and this is, this is an excerpt from Paul's conversion or Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus uh, when he was giving his testimony uh, in Acts chapter 26. But I want you to notice what Paul said that Jesus spoke to him uh, because it is, when I read it, I said, wow. That's, that is a description of true conversion. Look, let's look at it, what it says. Now, I'm just kind of picking up uh, in verse 18 that, that God spoke to Saul or Paul to open that, that what he wanted Paul to do. In other words, Jesus said, I've saved you. I, I just... Uh, turned your life around. Now here's what the reason I did it. Here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice this. First thing, that conversion uh, entails is that it, it is an opening of my eyes, my spiritual eyes. 
my spiritual eyes all of a sudden begin to see something that they've not seen before. Second thing that happens is when my eyes are open, uh, I turn from darkness to light. Listen, before I gave my life to Christ, I was under the authority of the kingdom of darkness. And when conversion takes place, when Jesus came into my life, my eyes were open. Listen, that is the reason that the sinner does not and cannot recognize the darkness that they're living in. We look at it and we're appalled. We look at it and we're blown away because our eyes have been opened that we can see darkness in a way that we've never seen it before. Those that are living in darkness are blind to the light. All right? So the second thing that happens is I turn from darkness to light. I come out of the kingdom of darkness and I move in to the kingdom of light. There are two kingdoms that are on this earth that are vying for your power, for your attention and for your life. It is the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There is no in between. All right? You're either in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. You're either walking in the light of, of Jesus or you're walking in the darkness of Satan. He said, but to turn uh, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, I began, listen, I quit giving my allegiance over to the demonic and I began to give my allegiance to God. Forgiveness of sin takes place and I am set in a place for, among those who are sanctified by faith. Ephesians says we have been made to sit together in heavenly places. So that's, that's a description of what conversion is. Uh, and we see uh, the power of conversion all throughout Scripture. In Acts 16, uh, the Philippian jailer uh, experienced this life-changing conversion. We see where Philip went down uh, and talk, uh, witness to the Ethiopian uh, uh, treasurer that was on his way back to his homeland in Acts chapter 8. And uh, God changed his life. We see uh, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, whose life was turned around uh, uh, by the message that Peter preached. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us that therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold all things are become new. That's what conversion is. That's what conversion is. It's not living in the old. It's living in the new. It's understanding that all the old is gone and the new has come and I'm a new creature, new creature in Christ. So Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children. It's one thing to be converted, but it's another thing to become as little children. What was he talking about there? And we talk about this a lot, and, and you probably know it better than I. But what was Jesus talking about? He said, you've got to be converted, and then you've got to become like a child. To, to put it real simply, I believe what 
Jesus was saying is this child that's sitting before you, he believes every word that he hears. You can tell a child something and they'll believe it. Yesterday, uh, me and Judy went to, to Walmart in Monroeville and, and we were coming we were coming out the doors of Walmart and there was this little little boy looked like three three maybe four years old when we walked out the first set of doors I noticed that the kid was standing there by one of those um, movie machines or something well when we got up there and the door opened the little boy just started out well, there was a lady that had just gone out ahead of us and she had a little boy that was a little bit older and she was walking on, she was talking on the phone and pushing her buggy and the little, other little boy was right up there by her. So I thought and, and Judy thought that th the little boy that, that walked out ahead of us belonged to her. Well, the little boy was walking and traffic was coming so Judy just kind of put her hand on his shoulder and say, and said, here, let me help you across uh, out of this traffic. And so Judy called the woman that was up ahead and said, hey, you're forgetting one. And the lady looked back and said, hey, mine. I said, oh, Jesus, we fix it. <laughs> Judy's fixing to get locked up for child abduction or something. And, and, so, but the little boy was just as content with Judy. He was just following Judy all over the place. And Judy turned around and went back in, in Walmart and said, uh, where's your mom? And the little boy said, I don't know. And the lady that was standing there, the greeter or whatever they do, the greeter, uh, Judy said, do you know who this baby belongs to? And she said, no. Nobody was around. Nowhere. And, and Judy said, well, he was out in the parking lot, headed the ward of vehicle. And so Judy left him there with a greeter, and they were, they were trying to find his, his mom or dad or whoever. But I thought about that how easy it is to lead a child even in, in the wrong direction it was so easy to lead that child there's no doubt in my mind if we had went to our vehicle and opened the door that little boy would have crawled right in the car because he's innocent and because he doesn't recognize danger and because he's never been hurt so he don't have those walls up. And his innocence opens him up not only to good things, but it opens him up to danger. And I think that that's probably what Jesus was talking about when he said you've got to be converted. Now listen to this. The important thing about conversion is that conversion draws a line between what was and what is to come. 
Because when I am converted, catch this, when I am converted, I believe that what Jesus was talking about, he said, your innocence was perverted by your sin. Your innocence was messed up because of Satan. And Satan capitalized on your innocence and wounded you and led you into a path of sin. He said, but when you are converted, there's a line drawn and I reestablish something in your life. It's almost like Jesus said, I take uh, 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 an eraser and I get on this large uh, chalkboard and I erase everything about your past. I, I erase it out. I erase out all of your hurt. Now, now, now listen. He said, I erase out all of your hurt. I'm erasing all of your wounds. I'm erasing all the mistakes of your past. I'm erasing all the failures that you experienced and all the disappointments and the discouragements. I'm erasing those things out. But some might be saying, well, pastor, if God does that, then why uh, do I still have to deal with all this stuff from my past? Hmm. You know what I think? I think it's because we don't understand about kingdom. And I'm, I'm trying not to preach. All right? We don't understand about the power of my daddy being the king. Because you see, when I am converted, I receive everything that Jesus did for me on the cross. When I am converted, everything, everything, the atonement, that dealt with my sins, that, that took away my sinful nature and, and gave me a new name. All of that is dealt with. And there's a line drawn, there's a boundary that is drawn there and, and I am no longer who I used to be. I am no longer what I used to be. I might have used to have been a drunk but when conversion takes place, God does a work in my life and I am a new creature. Listen, you either become a new creature or you remain the same way you were. All right? There ain't no over here and over there. There ain't no Jekyll and Hyde. You might act like it, but in reality in the kingdom, there ain't no Jekyll and Hyde. You're either there or you're not. All right, so we understand about the power of conversion. Listen, I've seen people that were drug addicts that gave their life to Christ and they never had to go to a drug rehab. They never had to go. I've seen alcoholics, I'll never forget, uh, at Mineola Baptist Church years ago, a man walked down the aisle and knelt at the altar at Mineola Baptist Church and the Lord spoke to me and said, go pray for him. And I went and I, I knelt down beside him and we began to pray and God, I didn't know him, but God changed his life. And later on, he said, I was an alcoholic. He said, but when I knelt in that altar, he said, God changed my life. And he said, I've not touched another drop. I watched a man walk down the aisle, and I, I tell this a lot, with a, with a fifth of whiskey 
in his back pocket, sticking out his back pocket, staggering down the aisle and went to the altar and knelt down in the altar and began to pray. And when he got up, he walked just as straight as I can walk out of that building and left that bottle of whiskey sitting on the altar and never touched another drop again. So listen, there is something about coming into the kingdom. There's something about getting in the king's domain that if we understand when I come into the kingdom, I am not subject to the laws of darkness any longer, but I am subject to the laws of light. Man, I'm about done lost my place in my notes. But you understand. Listen, and I believe that that's what Jesus was saying, that when you are converted and you become as this little child. Because it's something that God does in our lives, and we, I think sometimes we miss it. We, we don't catch what God is doing. I've, I've heard this several times in the past few days, that they say that the most important years in a child's life are from zero to six years of age. That if you put, whatever you put in that child from zero to six years of age is more than likely gonna go with them the rest of their life. All right? Now think about it. As a child of God, as a Christian, what you hear within the first few weeks and months and years of your new relationship with God is going to go with you the rest of your life. Except you be converted because you see that is an absolute, it's, it's a must. And then become like this little child. I believe becoming as a little child, conversion is an act of of Holy Spirit. God works. God comes. He does what I've not been able to do. He moves in areas that I've not been able to move and he deals with thing, things in my life that I have not been able to deal with. But when it comes to becoming like a little child, I can pray and I can say, God, help me to be like a little child. Nothing wrong with praying that. But here's the thing. If I don't recognize that I, I have to become. I have to become like a little child. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? I didn't think that my salvation had anything to do with me, but it does. Because you see, if you don't become as a little child, you remain as an adult. And we know, because we're adults, we're hard-headed. All right? We don't receive. We question everything, and we want to analyze everything. We want to, we want to know why is this, and, and how did that happen, and, and, and who, who was that, and, and, well, why can't we... Do it like this. Why, why do we have to? Not a child. Just like that little 
guy that was coming out of Walmart, just come on, I'll follow. Wherever you go, I'm there. I don't know who you are. He was a little uh, black child and Judy, a uh, uh, purple-headed white woman, <laughs> right in there behind him. Redhead. She was a redhead. I don't know where I got purple from. <laughs> she she's purple. She's a uh, little red and a little purple there, but he was just right in there with her. All right. You see, and that's that's the attitude of a little child. But that's something that that I have to become. All right, now let's go on down, and I've almost spent all my time on that, but let's go on down. He said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It is the one that becomes like a child who humbles himself down in the sight of God. Listen, in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, we see Christ set the example for us to imitate. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, Paul said this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. That's easy to read, but hard to apply. But that is a process of you and I becoming as a little child. All right? So don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Don't let that get past. Don't lose that meaning in the wording. What it, Paul was saying was, was this. Have this mind. Develop this mindset in yourself that though, as Jesus had, that though he was in the form of God, though he was God, and though he was in heaven Though he had all the beauty and the splendor of heaven, he did not count equality with his father as a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself. That word emptied is the word kenosis, which means to divest yourself or empty yourself of everything that is in you. Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that gives us an example of humility. Even though Jesus was with the Father, he didn't look over at the Father and say, why do I have to go? Why can't you find somebody else? I'm your son. Why do I have to take my royal robe off? Why can't you take yours off? Why do I have to go down there with a bunch of heathens? Why can't you go down there? He didn't do that. He humbled himself and became obedient, not only taking on the form of a servant, but he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And it goes on down in that passage of Scripture, and it says, for this reason, God has given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, every angel in heaven, every human being on earth, and every demon of hell will bow and say, you are Lord. Now, what is that saying to us? That is saying there's some glory and there's some grace, there's some favor that will be given, be given to you and I as we humble ourselves down under the hand or the authority of God. Listen, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, and I'm, I'm hurrying, uh, Peter talked about, remember when he talked about the woman and her relationship with a husband that was an unbeliever? And Peter said, you know, let it be, uh, let it be of, a, of a meek and a quiet spirit, uh, not, not the braiding of hair, not the, the earrings and, and all the, the jewels and all that. But in verse 4 he said, but let it be the hidden man of the heart uh, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament. He called it an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price or of a great value. And what he was talking about with concerning the woman was let your humility be your testimony to that spouse that is unbelieving. Let your humility speak what you don't need to speak with your mouth. And he said that meek and quiet spirit is of great value or a great price in the sight of God. He's talking about humility. He's talking about brokenness. He's not talking about get your way. Amen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think Soberly, according as God have dealt to every man the measure of faith. Listen, conversion is something that God does in my life. 
And it is, it is supernatural. It is miraculous. It is powerful. I do not have the ability to do it for myself. It is a God thing. And he does it, and he does it good. All right? But becoming as a little child takes on this humility thing. That I, that I have got to humble myself down. I've got to come under the authority of God. I've got to, I've got to realize that it's not about me. And I've got to realize that God can only work through me when I am humble before him. Remember what Paul said uh, when, when everybody was coming to him and, and they were saying, I'm a Paul and, and I'm of Apollos and all that. And Paul said, uh, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But just ministers whom you believe, uh, even as the Lord gave to every man. He said, for I have planted Apollos watered, he said, but God gave the increase. So then it's neither he that planteth is anything nor he that watereth, he said, but it's God that gives the increase. Listen, this thing about humility is so important when it comes to God wanting to do things in our lives. And, and one of the things that I've been praying uh, since uh, probably about the third or fourth week of December is, is God has been dealing with me uh, about humility. And because I've been praying, God, I want to see, I want to be able to see spiritually and I want to be able to hear spiritually. And, and when I see and hear, I want to obey. And I want to walk in it. I want to worship in it. And and. One of those things that God's been dealing with me about is th this humility. And it's so important, guys, because the prayer is God reveal to me and show me any area in my life that pride would want to come in or pride would have a hold over me. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, Peter said this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Man, can this generation catch that? Can our children catch that? You know, one thing, and just being being around and, and in relationship with a lot of the Native Americans, one thing that I applaud them on is their honor of their elders and how they respect their, their elders. Now, I'm sure not all of them do that, but the ones that I'm around have a great respect for the elders. And most of us in here, probably all of us in here, have a great respect for those who are older than we are. We hold the door open for them. We respect them. We love them. And Peter said, those of you who are younger, be subject to uh, the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Listen to this. 
For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. And then in verse 6, he said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. All right, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to close. The closer that we get in relationship with Christ, the more humility must be displayed in our lives. I had an old pastor tell me one time, he said, son, the closer you get to God, the lower you have to get. And I've come to realize that because the opposite of that is pride and haughtiness. And, and as I was looking today, there were three things that the Apostle Paul made statements on, and I want to leave you with them. Paul the Apostle, also known as Saul in his previous life, had this great experience with God, and God changed his life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, Paul said this. He said, For I am the least of all of the apostles. And I am not, let me read it like this. He said, For I am the least of the apostles, then am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. In other words, Paul said, I am, I am the lowest. I am the least of all the apostles. In other words, I am the least of this group of men right here. He said, because I persecuted the church. But progression, or let me say, digression. Paul started out saying, I'm the least among this group. And in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul said this, unto me, who am less than the least of all, not apostles, of all saints. It's this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So I noticed that. First, Paul says, I'm the least among any of these apostles. And then humility goes farther, and he says, I am the least of among any of the saints. He said, it doesn't matter if you've been saved a year, you've been saved three months, I am lower than you. I am, I am least, I am the least among all the saints. But listen, he goes on down in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. Is that humility? I think so. I think that's humility. I am the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of all the saints. And I know that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the chief of all of them. 
Would you stand with me, please? So you, you, you might say, well, Pastor, why, why, do you, why do you talk about this on Wednesday night? Why do you talk about who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's because I think, guys, that what God is, God is wanting to, to work in my life and, and your life is that God is saying, I, wanna, I want to take you farther than you've been. I want to, I want to do greater things in you. And God is saying, if I do greater in you, I've got to work some things in you, and I've also got to work some things out of you. Uh, because if, if, we, if we stay on a, a constant diet of sugar, uh, then that, that winds up being unhealthy. We might be full all the time, but we won't be healthy. And God is saying, I want to do something in you. And I want you to understand sometimes we have to go back and say, God, I'm going back to this conversion thing and I want, I want to become like a child. Maybe there's some areas in your life where you say, you know what, Pastor, I've not been walking as a little child in this area. I've not been, I've not been humble in this area. And you might say, I, I've been I've been toting a ball bat, you know. I've been I've been pulling out my, my sword and I've been chopping things up and, and God's wanting to say, Listen, you need to walk in humility. You need to humble yourself under the hand of God. So whatever that is and and maybe God has spoken to you tonight, and I pray he did, I know he's speaking to me through this. So let's let God do what he wants to do. But here's the thing tonight, too, that I, that I want to, to say is I believe that tonight God is, God is wanting to do something special in somebody's life. And I believe God's wanting to touch you. I don't know what you need. Don't know, uh, don't know the situation that you're in. But I believe tonight that God's wanting to do something on your behalf tonight. And so in order to allow God to do that, I want us just to take a, a moment and just lift our hands tonight and, and just begin to worship. You ain't got to beg for it. God spoke to me today and said it's going to happen. It's going to happen if you stand there and just stare at me. It's going to happen because God said it was going to happen. And so I'm believing tonight that that you are going to see God do something in your life. I don't know if it's a breakthrough that you've been needing. I don't know if it's a breakout that you need. I don't know what it is, but I'm believing tonight that God's going to do something in your life, okay?